Hi, I'm Rod Bryant, Director of Education with Native in Houston, Texas. I'm happy to have had the opportunity to partner with YPS in this ambitious effort to bring worldwide knowledge of the Noahide laws to every person, to include our Jewish brothers and sisters. This first lesson is an introduction to the Jewish laws. Before we start this lesson, let me explain to you, there will be some words used during these 59-odd lectures or 60 lectures that will not be very familiar to you. If we come across a word, a Hebrew word, or a concept that is just so foreign that you really don't understand, please take time to email us and let us know what it is. Ask the questions and we will answer. The second opportunity that we have set up for you is Sunday evening at 4 p.m., we're going to do a Q&A session. We call it a schmoo session with Rod Bryant on Sunday evening at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's a great opportunity to bring your questions, your comments, uh, ideas that you would like to bounce off of other fellow Noahides from literally all over the world, from Australia to China, Europe, etc., South America, Central America, Philippines. And so with that being said, let's get into our first course. Introduction to Noahide Laws. Before we have a serious discussion of the introduction of Noahide Laws, we must first examine the misconceptions and tragic histories associated with Judaism and its struggle for the last 2,000 years. Judaism is greatly misunderstood. Admittedly, Judaism appears strange when compared to other faiths, whereas Christianity and Islam and other religions seek adherence and openly preach and proclaim the trueness of their faiths, Judaism appears to do the actual opposite. It seems turned in on itself and quite unconcerned with the spiritual well-being of non-Jews. At least that was my perception when I began my journey from the Christian church to Torah Judaism. Judaism also seems to the outsider to be preoccupied with the minutiae of obscure laws. This has given rise to the myth that Judaism is a religion of justice devoted to the worship of a vengeful God. These misconceptions, for the most part, are the result of 1,800-year campaign of marketing and persecution by the church, who really sought to replace the original Torah with their own ideology. The Christian world invested tremendous effort in quashing Torah teachings and thought. They subjected Jews to persecution and exile, torture, and even death. Jews were forced into ghettos and frequently prohibited from teaching or printing Torah thought. As the oppressor outlawed Jews and non-Jews interactions, they simultaneously accused the Jews of being separatists and aloof. As the persecutors locked the ghetto gates, they accused the Jews of being secretive and insular. Precaution formed the basis for a propaganda that only fueled further harassment and discrimination. This condition was the norm for most of the Jews 
worldwide until only about 70 years ago. Since after the Jewish Holocaust, Jews have enjoyed religious freedom unlike anything ever experienced in the past 2,000 years. With a decline of official oppression and discrimination, it is now only that Judaism can be discussed and studied taught and taught freely. For the past 2,000 years, however, these matters could not be discussed openly and in a meaningful way. It is only recently that the Jewish community has been able to freely discuss the Torah's vision for the world. It is not a vision for Jews alone, but a vision for all mankind. At Sinai, Torah was revealed and given to the Jewish people. It sealed the covenant between the Jewish people and the creator of the universe. However, the Sinai covenant was neither first nor the only agreement struck between God and man. As testified to within the Torah itself, God established covenants with Adam and Noah. Today, the Torah provides two ideal relationships with God. One is that of the Jews, known as Judaism, governed by the covenant of Sinai. And the other is that of the Gentile, originally covered by the covenants of, the, of Noahide and Adam, known as the Noahide covenant. Examining law and love the Torah, Judaism, and by extension, Noahides are concerned with action. Mere belief in God or principles is not enough. The Torah requires us to actualize, to perform God's will in the world. How do we then know God's will? This is a pivotal question. Well, the answer is pretty simple, mitzvahs. Both the covenants include mitzvahs, divine commandments, expression, expressing God's expectations of men. The covenant at Sinai included 613 mitzvahs, divine laws, and the Noahide covenant contains seven categories of mitzvahs, which include about 70 particular laws or divine laws in total. Let me take a moment to ask a question. Why laws? Why not ethics? Why is not ethics good enough? Why is not being good good enough? The Torah, as we shall see, contains both ethics and laws. Yet there is a big difference between laws and ethics. Ethics are guiding moral principles having broad application. There are values commonly held whose interpretation easily becomes subjective. Laws, however are specifically divine guidelines that mold and create societies. Laws have the effect of putting everyone on the same page. They create commonality. Ethics need laws to impose structure, commonality, and to preserve their meaning. However, law without ethics is meaningless. But it isn't Judaism, or for the matter of fact, Noahidism, a religion of love. If the covenants are motivated by love, then why does God want us to follow the laws? The question itself is fundamentally flawed, but asked anyway. Creation was by default the ultimate act of love and kindness. As we will learn in later lessons, God created the universe in order to bestow goodness. Therefore, all of his actions are ultimately for the sake of our good and our acts of love. This concludes his covenants, both the Sinai and the Noahide covenant. The idea that 
love and law are opposites is a fiction and is part of the historical campaign of marketing and persecution discussed above when we talked about the church. The Roman Catholic Church long portrayed the Torah as a covenant of law while claiming that their religion is one of Torah love. The Torah views love and law as two sides of the same coin. Without any restraint and boundaries or guidance, love is a destructive force, smothering force. Similarly, strict, untempered justice is terrifying and unbearable. Law tempered by love and love tempered by law is God's ideal formula. The mitzvot, the divine commandments, give structure and expression to the underlying beliefs, ethics, and values of God's Torah. By fulfilling the mitzvahs, we connect and become part of our Creator's will. In this sense, the mitzvahs are far more than just laws. They are a direct means of connecting with the Holy One, blessed be He. Therefore, the mitzvahs must be studied, pursued, loved, and performed with tremendous joy and thankfulness for the opportunities that they present. From a metaphysical standpoint, the fulfillment of mitzvahs contributes to the rectification of God's commandments by fulfilling the mitzvahs. We draw the light of God into the world and bring it closer to perfection. Let's talk about the legal system in theory and in reality. The Torah is not only a religious system, but it is also a system of national, civil, and personal law. As with the systems of law, it carries penalties for violations. Throughout this course, we will frequently discuss the penalties for violating the laws, Noahide laws. These discussions are today partly theoretical. And the reason for knowing the penalties of a transgression is so we can compare the relative severity of a transgression. For example, a transgression with a light penalty is a lesser transgression than one that is of a severe penalty. For such a comparison, we can determine which course of action to take in a pressing circumstance. This same method of analysis is used by Jews in the study of Torah. Unfortunately, this discussion of penalties necessary to the study of Noahide laws has sometimes given the rise to anti-Semitic myths and by uh, circumstances could also strike fear in the heart of a non-Jew and bring tremendous misunderstanding. These are the most frequent questions that has been received and discussed by people inquiring about the Noahide laws or someone who wants to criticize the Jewish approach to the non-Jew study in Torah. Here's one. Noahide law is discriminatory because it imposes death penalty for Noahides for any transgression of the Torah. Look, there are very few transgressions of Noahide law that incur capital punishment. And as we shall see, the Noahide laws include seven categories of transgressions for which only about a dozen specific actions incur capital punishment. By comparison, Jewish law is about 35 categories which incur capital punishment with over a hundred specific transgressions for which a Jew could be put to death. Furthermore, Noahides are only executed via beheading and the quickest, most painless method of Torah-mandated execution. Of course, that probably doesn't bring any relief to you, but as I said before, this is a theoretical idea 
that we will discuss when we understand that the mandate of execution or death in violating a specific law shows you the intensity of that law or the importance of that law. Jews, though, may be put and burned to death, strangled, stunned, or stoned. Penalties that may not even be given to Noahs. Additionally, there are dozens of Jewish transgressions for which Jews are punished with 40 lashes. Jews may also receive charis, spiritual exertion, the most severe penalty found in the Torah. Of course, non-Jews do not receive lashes of charis, I'm sorry. The Torah's legal system is much harsher in the judgment and treatment of Jews than non-Jews. The next question, will I be put to death for transgressing the Torah laws? The death penalty was only given under three circumstances. One, it had to be in Israel. Two, when the Jews had full sovereignty over the land. And three, when the Sanhedrin was fully functioning. Today, even though Israel is in Jewish hands, this is only a political restoration. It is not religiously valid possession required to allow the theocratic rulership of the land. Furthermore, there is no Sanhedrin today in, in to administer the death penalty. This can only be restored during Messianic times. Another important point is that the Noahide legal system permanently charges Noahides with the administration of justice, not the Jews. So when someone says that the Jewish Talmud says that non-Jews should be put to death, that Jews should cut their heads off for studying Torah, is not true, first. Second, Jews are not to administer justice. Only the non-Jews could administer justice to non-Jews. You can also view things this way. If Jews are not liable to capital punishment today, then Noahides certainly not either. As we have seen, Jewish law is more severe than Noahide law. In short, though there were times in the past when an Israeli Noahide could, in theory, receive the death penalty. It can never be, it could never happen today. The next question should be asked, well, weren't Noahides put to death more often than Jews in ancient Israel? To be honest, there's no statistics as to the demographics of those executed. However, given that Noahide law cannot be more severe than Jewish law, it is an assumption, however may strange assumption, to make, as well, the circumstances necessary to actually uh, uh, obligate someone to execution are very specific. In fact, they are so specific that execution was rarely ever decreed. The Talmud in Sanhedrin records, says, a record that executes at the rate of one person ever 70 years is considered murderous. The commentaries explain that even one person every 70 years was a frequency beyond the pale of possibility, indicating that the court was far too severe in its approach. Consider as well that just because someone commits a crime deserves death penalty, they may not actually receive it. This is the case in America and a lot of European countries. Just because you deserve the death penalty does not necessarily mean that you will receive it. Isn't a non-Jew put to death for study and tort? Remember this? I'm going to answer this. Well, the answer, frankly, no, will not be put to death and cannot be put to death. Also, isn't a Jew allowed to steal from a non-Jew? Isn't a Jew allowed to lie to a non-Jew? 
but not to another Jew. Isn't a Jew allowed to kill a non-Jew? Isn't a Jew allowed to charge a non-Jew interest yet? Not another Jew. Now, we group all of these questions into one group to answer this. They all suffer the same problem. They are all based on assumptions on either mistranslation or decontextualized Talmudic quotes. Realize this, the Talmud is not the final authority for Jews. The allegation is a long-held anti-Semitic myth. The Talmud is an encyclopedia of conversations and explorations pertaining to Torah law. It does not represent the actual Jewish belief or practice. A Talmudic conversation may quote 50 different opinions without indicating clearly which one is conclusive. Now, the church has, for centuries, cherry-picked these statements, which could be used as propaganda against the Jews. The conclusive opinion of the Talmud are recorded in Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, by Rabbi Yosef Karo. The importance of the Talmud is that it represents the methodology of correct Torah interpretation and exploration. The Shulchan Aruch decides accordingly to the Talmudic opinion that prohibit a Jew from stealing, lying to, or harming a non-Jew. Additionally, a non-Jew is not put to death for studying Torah. Repeat, a non-Jew is not put to death for studying the Torah. One of the above allegations. However, it is true, a Jew may not charge interest to another Jew, but may do so to a non-Jew. By the same token, a non-Jew may charge interest to a Jew. So it is something of a false criticism. Summary of the lesson. As we see in the, in, in, in the future lessons, the original Adam and Noahide covenant was eventually subsumed under the authority of the Sinai covenant. The Torah is therefore divine revelation, not only for Jewish world, but for the non-Jewish world. And that is with regard to the seven laws or seven categories given by to the children of Noah. Although the creation of the world and giving of the Torah were acts of love, this does not preclude the role of law. Last but not least, the mitzvahs, divine commandments, give shape and direction to our expression of love and worship to the Holy One, blessed be He. While they also inform us to God's will and purpose in our life. This concludes the introduction for Noahide Laws. I'll see you for the next lesson. Shalom.